Hi and welcome to Chatter, podcast from Kanos, all about things tech, design and product. Today's episode is Let's Talk Product, London, Measuring Success. I'm your host, Abby Laurie. Let's Talk Product, hosted by Kanos, is all about using the best methods in product management to create products and services that people prefer to use and improve their lives. In today's episode, talk to Lauren Russo, product consultant at Kanos, Andy Burnage, principal data consultant at Kanos, and guest speaker, Dragon Jogic, Agile Product Consultant at Benamine. Our first speaker is Shirag Ajawal, who tells us a bit more about Let's Talk Product. Hello. Hello, everyone. Shirag, can you tell us a bit about Let's Talk Product London and how that came about? Um, sure, Abby. Probably a bit of background to Let's Talk Product, and London is essentially doing Let's Talk Product in London. We're also doing other offices. Kenos, with all the projects and products we're involved with, are doing some interesting stuff in product. And we were like, it'd be a good forum to talk with curious product people externally. So uh, London has loads of them, so has Birmingham, Belfast. So we have a really good office. Um, mm-hmm. We've got a space to, to host an event like this, to host a meetup where we can get people externally from all spaces, all, all different places working product to come together. Mm-hmm. So And we can exchange ideas. It could be evening, so we have beer and pizza. And uh, why not just talk product? Why not just talk about, share our stories, share experiences, learn from each other? So that's how Let's Talk product came about. We've had one in London and Birmingham office already earlier in the summer. And now we're planning, we're having one today. Uh, Let's Talk product in a London office, focusing on measuring product success. And we are hopefully in September time, we'll do a repeat of this in the Birmingham office. And then in time, we're starting one in Belfast as well. Okay, that's fantastic. You had me with beer and pizza, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this draw, this draw. Yeah. <laughs> It's a fantastic opportunity for people who don't work within Kanos that are interested in product world to get involved. I will be posting the dates of the next ones that's happening in Birmingham. So if you're in the Birmingham area and you listen to us, um, please feel free to come down and have a chat with Shirag and the rest of the team from Kanos. Brilliant. Look forward to seeing you there. Okay. Thanks, Shirag. Cheers. Bye. So Lauren, what are you going to talk to us about? Um, so today I'm going to talk to you about the MOT reminder service that I worked on and uh, how we use data to both identify the problem and measure the success of the service. Okay, great. Where should we start? Tell us <laughs> all about this MOT reminder service. <laughs> well, I'll start with the problem and how we identified it. Um, so the MOT scheme tests about 40 uh, million test vehicles a year. Um, so that accumulates a lot of data. Um, and when we analyze that data, we identified that about 28% of vehicles on average are actually late when they get their MOT. So an MOT uh, is an annual thing, uh, and when it expires, you, you're supposed to get your new MOT before it's expired. Okay. Is there like, do you have a grace period? There's no grace period, but uh, what you are allowed is to get your vehicle MOT'd up to a month before and still maintain your same date, so you don't lose any um, part of your year by getting it done early. Okay. All right. Cool. What if you're not driving on a public road and you haven't got an MOT? So if you're not driving it, um, that's fine. You still obviously need to have it MOT'd um, if you're going to get your vehicle taxed. So if you're not driving it for a long period of time, you should register it as SORN with DVLA, which basically is just a declaration that it's not being used. Now, I know that you don't drive, so you've never had to do the MOT. I have not. So for the MOT reminder service, it's a really simple little service. It allows you to enter your vehicle registration and then either choose to get a text or an email reminder you enter your contact details and then a month before your MOT is due, we'll send you a reminder to let you know. 
And if you haven't done it again in two weeks' time, we'll send you a second reminder to let you know again. Yeah, Before. That's right. Okay, yeah. so that's actually quite good. It is, yeah. And uh, we, we did a lot of user research to try and identify, you know, when would be the best time. Because if you remind people too early, yeah. then of course they forget again or they, they, they put it off. But at the same time, we wanted to give people enough notice so that, you know, before the, maybe the month started, they could budget for it. Um, but also, if you know, they had plans and they had to, you know, arrange to not have a vehicle for a period of time, they had time to, to be able to work that out. So, as I sort of said, you know, 28% of vehicles are late for their MRT, but, you know, why is that actually a problem? Mm -hmm. So, we looked at the data a little bit further and we found that for vehicles that are MRT'd more than 60 days late, so it's about two months late, um, they're 8% more likely to fail their MRT. So, the failure rate is about um, 28% as well, um, and that's 8% more likely to fail than that. Okay. Which means there's vehicles driving on the road really that shouldn't be. The MOT is an annual check to check the roadworthiness, but mm. you should every time you drive the vehicle on the road, you should be ensuring that it's roadworthy. So just because you're driving a vehicle with an MOT wouldn't absorb you of any obligations for doing your own checks as well. We collected all this data, we've found out some key things about prominent reasons that people gave for not doing their MOT in time. Yeah, so obviously one thing we didn't get from the data was the why. So mm -hmm. what we did is we sent out a survey to get volume, but then we also spoke to people on a one-to-one -one basis during research sessions to try and find out, you know, had they been late before and if so, why. Of course, the vast majority of them said they purely forgot. It's something that happens once a year, so it's not a regular occurrence. People don't really place as much importance on an MOT. They know they need to get it done because the law says that, but they don't really treat it as something that critical, so it's not on the forefront of their mind. And obviously life's busy and there's a lot of things to remember, so uh, unless you have a way of remembering it, it's really difficult. Some other reasons, you know, obviously financial issues, if they hadn't expected it and they hadn't budgeted for it that month. If they were away from home as well, so some people were on holiday or hadn't been driving it because they were sick, those are actually valid reasons for not getting your MOT. So I will be setting up my car on the MOT reminder service. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> We should be interested to see how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when we were doing the research, it was also quite interesting to find out how people currently remember to get their MOT done. Okay. Um, some people associated it with a birthday. They knew it was the same month as their birthday. But actually, we found there was one user during the research session. She was determined her MOT was in June. And when we actually went on to check, it was in January. So even though she was determined she knew when it was, it was actually about six months different. When we say when we were doing the testing, we actually went on and used the live data to yeah. find her personal vehicle to make the, the testing, I suppose, more lifelike. Okay. Um, and it pulled out that her MOT was actually due in January. We had that in her mind, um, whether or not it was an older vehicle she'd had, okay. potentially, you know. In previous cars, I think she still thought. Yeah, no. she knew it was a month beginning with J. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's three months out of the year that begins with J, so yeah, yeah, give or take. All right, if we're talking about measuring success, how did you guys envision what success would be from all this raw data yeah. available to so, you guys? I suppose one of the limitations we have is that we don't really know who owns the vehicles. Uh, we purely know when it, what the vehicles are and when they're MOT'd. We're able to find a sort of baseline with the data before the service went live as to how many vehicles are go for their MOT late. But actually, because it's a subscription service, you know, it was going to take quite a while before we'd see the, you know, the 
the mark move on the overall yeah. scheme. Yeah. So what we did also then was we were measuring for those that had signed up, how much more likely were they to be on time versus those that didn't have a reminder. Then we were also aware that, you know, potentially people that sign up for a reminder are more conscientious um, okay. as it is. So, you know, the type of person that's signing up, it might be skewing the statistics as well. Yeah. So what we did then did is we were able to track the vehicles over time. Okay. We started uh, a few years before the service went live versus when they actually got signed up and got their first reminder and was making a 15% difference to the overall. Okay, that's good. Um, like earliness of the MOT. Oh, people getting the MOT yeah. done, yeah. So you could see the, the change in the patterns from yes, when they yeah. they were doing it previously to when they're doing it now. Yeah. And okay. obviously with, with, with data, you have to be aware of the limitations with it. You know, so we're yeah. tracking vehicles. We don't know if it's the same owner. And also, you know, we can't directly link the fact that someone received a reminder to the fact they got their MOT yeah. on time. But, you know, it's our best indication that the service is working. Obviously, once we were identifying the problem and sort of why people were late, DSA's strategy then was to help citizens first. So mm-hmm. before jumping immediately to fining citizens, assuming that they want to do the right thing and generally just forgotten. So that's sort of how the reminder service came about as a way to help citizens remember and inform them as well about when their MOT is due. The next step then is potentially slightly stronger worded correspondence, informing them of maybe legal penalties and things like that. Okay. The consequences. consequences. Um, and then obviously the third stage is to actually penalise users who, despite the help and warnings, are still deciding not to get their MOT done. Could you correlate the findings from the data once people joined the service? Did you compare the amount of people that was receiving letter number two and letter number three? The main way the MOT is enforced is really through the taxation. Okay. So in order to tax your vehicle you need to have a valid MOT but actually your MOT could be expiring a day after your tax is due and you are still able to tax your vehicle. Okay so you could tax your car still be on the road but not have any MOT because you're almost for another year and actually when we were doing the research as well a lot of people were sort of getting confused as well and that was the first time they knew their vehicle was out of MOT was when their tax direct debit bounced. Okay. Yeah, because it's saying you can't do it because you're yeah. yeah. Obviously, you know, police um, stop people and yeah. do random checks and things like that. But, you know, the police obviously have a, a tough enough burden on themselves. Yeah, so they've, they've got enough going on. They do, they do. So we want to start by helping and then yeah. we will look to, you know, change the process in the future as well. I mean, the warning as well, what happens is in the service, if you haven't had your MOT, we do follow up with a... Another reminder, just to say you are now out of MOT and these are the consequences of, okay. of it. The legislation around MOT is you're not allowed to drive on a public road without an MOT. So we obviously can't see that and we're assuming that because you don't have one, you're, you should be having one. But So we try not to be too strongly worded with our with letters at the moment, but just to inform more, slightly stronger the consequences of not having your MOT. Yeah, I guess that's forward in line with the kind of theme of trying to be helpful. Yes. So the MRT reminder service makes use of the GovNotify service to actually okay. send the reminders um, and we use it to both send the text and the email reminders. So people can get text message reminders that they need to yes. get their car MOT as well. So we did uh, a notice of design service. We obviously want to make sure this is it's an effective service and mm. we're reminding people in a way that suits them and their needs. 
when we were doing the research, it was actually quite surprising that between email and text, it is almost a 50-50 split, the people that prefer one or the other. Surprisingly, it wasn't really linked to any sort of demographics. So, okay. you know, you, it wasn't age, it wasn't anything like that that made people prefer one or the other. It was usually to do with their association with the reminder they're getting it um, and whether or not it was if they saw it as official or just helpful. Um, and also whether or not they thought one method or the other in terms of their lifestyle and their account um, would be considered spam as well. So, you know, people that yeah. wanted to maybe got a lot of spam with email, prefer text because it was more official, being more strong to them. Mm-hmm. Some people wanted email because they thought it's a reminder, I can flag it, I can come back later. Yeah. Um, so it was really just it's entirely dependent on the individuals and just their lifestyle, which one they preferred. That's, that's actually an interesting find, right? Because yeah. your preference for how you want to receive notification is regardless of your age or yeah. sex or, or anything like that. Yeah. It's just what you like as a person. Prefer, yeah, your lifestyle. Um, obviously, we prefer email because emails are free yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. sometimes you know if you want your service to be effective you yeah. need to forecast yeah. a little bit more money for that no that's, that's cool <laughs> so what's success for this project how are we measuring success for this so i suppose yes the main the main measure of success, success is really the effectiveness of the service but um sort of more supplementary successes as well will be around um, uptake so as I said before, it's a subscription-based service. So we, because DVSA don't know who owns vehicles, we can't automatically subscribe people to the service. We need them to come and sign up. As the effectiveness is based on us being able to actually reach people, the more people that sign up, the better. Is there a subscription or a fee to pay to sign up? No, it's entirely free. Oh, that's cool. Um, DV- historically, DVSA did provide um, a reminder service. and uh, It was a pay-for-one. So one thing, and there wasn't a really high uptake on that for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when they did the new service, that was one of their key objectives, that it was free to citizens. Okay, that's cool. It'd be interesting if they'd ever consider anything like when you buy, when you buy a car, that you'd have to sign up for it by yes. default, yeah. or so, even if it's done by the, the people you're buying the car yeah. from. One thing we're trying to do is in terms of how we publicise the service, so... We'd like to work in partnership with, with DVLA, you know, so when you're, um, someone is registering the vehicle for mm-hmm. the first time um, and they received, you know, their information that set registered to let them know that there's a service available and they can go sign up and they'll be kept up to date when their MOT is due. Mm. So it's that kind of cross-government collaboration yeah. which we really benefit from. Okay, so what's next for the service? So just in terms of what's next for the service, the main thing is around, I suppose, um, can we increase the service effectiveness even more? So we're going to try maybe some A-B testing to see if the, the we can tailor the content of the email to be more effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and also then also try and understand from those that actually have received a reminder why they were still late. You know, is there something to do with the timing or the way the wording was in it or, or um, the format they received it in that was confusing to them? And obviously, as I said, uh, try and increase our number of subscriptions. So, you know, we have a really high satisfaction score um, in terms of our service, it's, it's almost consistently sitting at ninety-eight percent. That's fantastic, which is great. I guess the message from you is for anyone who's listening to the podcast and has a car. Go sign register. up, sign up. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to uh, increase our number of subscriptions. Yeah. It's a great service. It's free. It's a benefit to to the end user as well. It right? is. It's um. It is interesting. So we were obviously tracking the number of subscriptions over time, and you would see these like really high little peaks of uh, when people have signed up, and that's usually when. Um, these money-saving websites have got wind of it and publicised it. Okay, and we'll okay. have 
like a hundred thousand new subscriptions in a day. Wow. Okay. Which is yeah. uh, re- really yeah. great and exciting to see. Yeah, I can imagine that massive spike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like what happened here? Well, Lauren, thank you very much and good luck with your talk tonight. Thanks, Abby. Hi, it's Abby again, and I'm here with one of the other speakers. Andy, say hello to the people. Hey, people. Andy Bernard here. So what's your talk about today? Okay, so with the overall theme being about measuring success, I wanted to talk about how data underpins that and some of the challenges we face in being agile. Why have you pinpointed those two things? Like what are some of these pain points that we... Okay, so with Kanos, we exclusively work in an agile manner. So data platforms don't typically lend themselves to being developed in an agile manner because factors such as you've got a large underlying data model that you need to support and build. There's lots of integrations with data sources, lots of data processing and lots of outcomes and consumptions. There are lots of pitfalls that can be trodden in, fallen in, even unwittingly. I'm interested in what approaches can we take to do this in an agile manner. So I'm going to talk about the threads of data that underpin digital services. Linking that in with success, you know, we're measuring the success of a platform, but actually the platform itself is creating a really rich tapestry of data. And it's how can you then start to extend what you're doing with the platform so you can then leverage that data. And so this may be for extending it beyond for understanding operational efficiencies or understanding customer intimacy, becoming more aware of the customer and how you can personalise services towards them. Also enabling more advanced analytics like AI and machine learning, for example. So how you can extend a platform to leverage the data. Okay, and so the, the, the second thread is about some approaches we use to develop data platforms in an agile manner to help us get a, a vision of the future that we can then understand which are the valuable pieces first that we can start to build, knowing that we can extend in a way that isn't detrimental to the platform or involve a complete amount of rework. Data's always been key but it seems to be pushed more to the forefront now more days, I think, especially with things like machine learning and artificial intelligence, people have started to grasp more revealing data can be and how predictive data can be towards the launch of a successful product, be it a platform, service, or whatever it is you're developing. Why do you think that's come across over the years? Okay, so I think technology has enabled this to a great extent in terms of, you can look at the the landscape in terms of the sheer volumes of data that's being produced in, in our daily lives through smart cars, smartphones, social media, and um, you know, interaction with, with digital business. So there's a plethora of data, and so technology has evolved to help us start to understand you know, provided the tooling to deal with it. And part of that, with the compute power, you know, the investments that have gone in over the years have started to lower the barrier to entry for how to use these toolings. So there's quite sophisticated toolings that can be easily applied to data and used. You know, what used to be locked away in dark cupboards with people with sandals working on is now available for, for kind of general use where you don't have to be uh, a specialist in terms of how to use them. Obviously, when you are a specialist, you can use them in, in different ways, but certainly the barrier to entry is much lower in these tools. And do you think people are starting to understand more the value of actually being the people who own the data? Yeah, and how I would look at it is, you know, previously marketing was a fairly blunt instrument. Understanding the customer was kind of, you know, at a distance, whereas the technology and the data allows us to understand the customer at a much more fine-grained view. 
we can understand much better about buying habits and patterns and so on. And so the value in the creation of data and who owns the data and how it's used is much more, more prevalent. But as is security and privacy and anonymization. So it's all about trust and transparency for the citizen and the consumer. 100%. Andy, thank you very much. Lovely. I'm very happy to speak. Thank you, Andy. Take care. Cheers. Bye. Hi, I'm here with Dragon, who's one of the speakers for tonight. Dragon, say hello to the people. Hello, people. Okay, so Dragon, um, can you tell us a bit about what you're going to be talking about tonight in Let's Talk Product London? So, uh, the title of my talk is The Language of Outcomes. Okay. So, what I'm talking about is product is a really important thing. Let's talk product, but let's also talk outcomes, i.e., we're building a product. Who's that product serving? Whose needs is it addressing? Okay. And uh, how do we know if, we, if and when we are successful? What I'm basically saying is, let's not stop at the product and features and functionality. Let's think about, talk about, measure, and aim to satisfy somebody's needs. Do you feel that that's an area that doesn't get the focus that it deserves? Or like, what's the key reason why you picked that part of delivery so, all about? I don't know if I'll mention it tonight, but why I was provoked to think more about this and then subsequently talk about it is a, an experience from a client of mine from a few years ago when a seasoned project manager uh, came to me and said, it's all the same stuff that we were always doing, Dragon, isn't it? This agile thing, it's just words, it's all the same. And one of the reasons I thought that that was the case and why he said that was that we were aiming to do new things but we were talking the same language, and I, I still think we're talking the same language as before. So we're talking about working software, we're talking about product backlog, we're talking about velocity and lead time and working progress limits. We're not talking about what it is that we are aiming to achieve, when have we achieved it, how do we know. Okay. So I think it's really important and valuable to focus on that. Interestingly enough, from few from few weeks ago, I've been working with a charity, and in their space, the outcomes and the impacts that you are aiming to achieve are even more visible. The whole chain of, this is what we're doing, this is what we're producing, but we're doing it so that we create these behavior changes, so that we achieve these outcomes and impacts is, is even more visible. So it's really important to talk about it. Why do you think there's more clarity or visibility within the charity than, they, than you would find in a normal organisation? Potentially because there's a clear line of sight to whoever is using the services, whoever is benefiting from what it is that they're doing, which in this case is children. So all of them are focused on what they're trying to do in order to help the children. And uh, it's just a much clearer environment and much more powerful, I suppose, desired impact than if you were to say uh, double D companies revenues or profits or whatever it is that okay. yeah, the normal stuff commercial companies yeah. do. I'm not I'm not making a difference here, I'm not calling one better than the other. It's just the clarity is well, it's more clarity. What some or probably all of the agile approaches, methodologies, even the agile mindset they're talking about is the customer and, and having direct contact with the customer so that you can deliver to and get feedback from the customer directly rather than a number of middlemen. Working closely with the customer, mm -hmm. reducing the cycle times so that we can get earlier, earlier, more meaningful and more actionable feedback. 
directly rather than through a number of the intermediaries. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Dragon, thank you very much. Thank you. The Cheddar team is JT Tekka, B. Rizazi, and Olivia Sharp. I'm your host, Abby Laurie. Cheddar, podcast from Chaos.